want you to think back to the days on the playground, which as our world is going might look a little bit different moving forward, but think back to the days on the playground and you'd run outside and you'd be getting ready to play, whether it was basketball or whether it was a game of football or dodgeball, like you kind of had the game that you would play out on the playground for recess and to figure out, because a bunch of people would want to play. And so the way, that's what I want you to think of, the way that we would choose teams, you remember how this went? You would get two team captains. You remember this nod if you remember the team captains. If you were a team captain, we can talk later. But the two team captains would stand off to the side and then they would start to evaluate every player that lined up on the playground. So somebody that would have been in this lineup, you're sitting there just kind of trying to show off your best side. And if you're like me, you're like, you don't really have one. So you just like hope for the best there. And then finally a team captain would point at another kid and say, you. And that kid, first draft pick, would just strut across the entire lineup to go and stand next to that first team captain. Then the second team captain would look amongst the lineup of who's left, and then he would pick somebody and would go back and forth and back and forth until finally every person got picked. Now, if you think back to that and if you remember what that was like, you know that if you were picked at the beginning, the middle, or the end, something inside of you, like it, there was emotions, there was feelings that went along with that, right? Again, you get picked first, or at least in the first few picks, you feel great, like, yes, I'm, I've been working so hard for this for my whole life, and you finally made it into that first pick. If you're somewhere in the middle, it's kind of like, I mean, well, it could be worse. I could be still left standing there. If you are still left standing there, it's just kind of like, oh man, like it's embarrassing. It's like, what? And, and hopefully I get to play. I guess I kind of, at least I'm on a team. We all want something. And this starts at a young age all the way up to today, wherever you're sitting as an adult, we all want something. It's going to be a big word for us today, significance. We want to be significant. We want our lives to be significant. We wanna know that there's significance in our life, that we're part of something significant. We want our lives to matter. We want there to be meaning. We want there to be purpose. That's really a calling, isn't it? We want to be called. We want to know that we specifically, you and me, intentionally and specifically have a calling on our lives that's purposeful, that's meaningful, and most of all, that is significant. Let me hear, I want you to hear this. You are significant. Your life carries such significance. There's meaning and there's purpose. You are called. But here's the problem with that, is especially in the world that we live in today, when you throw complexity, when you throw confusion, when you throw discouragement and negativity and like all of the things, you even heard kind of Patrick talk about that when we were singing the song. When you are in the midst of that world, it's very easy to lose sight of that calling. It's easy to totally just miss that calling. It's easy to forget that you have a calling on your life. So today is about that word, significance, and that significant calling that God has placed on your life and on my life. Let me 
say it this way. You don't have to turn there. We'll put it on the screen for you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul is writing to this early church, similar to an early uh, church like ours, and here's what he tells them, and I think he would say the same thing to us. He says, therefore, I, this is Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord. So he is in jail for serving God. Look at what he says next. He says, I beg you, I'm pleading with you. He says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Why? Look at this next part. Because you have been called by God. You, you have been called by God. I have been called by God. So that means we are significant. That means he does have purpose for our lives. That means there is meaning in who we are and what we're doing. You have been called. You've been picked, so to speak. That God has something specific for you intentionally. He knows you. He knows who he has created you to be. And he has great and significant plans for you you. So it's hard to hear that call sometimes. It's hard to remember that call sometimes, especially when there's so much chaos and complexity and confusion in our world. But you are significant. Your life has significance. But just like with any calling, a calling is really just an invitation, isn't it? So if scripture is true that says we are called by God, meaning he's extending an an invitation to you and to me, but we have a choice. Just because you've been called, that invitation, you have a choice whether you take it or not. God has called you. What's your answer? And I'm hoping you'll think through that, pray through that, and even wrestle through that this morning. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for for giving our lives significance and meaning and purpose. Thank you for calling each and every one of us. God, I pray as we, as we walk through your word this morning that we would not just recognize that we are called, not just be aware that we are called, but that we would answer that call. That the significance and the importance and the meaning and the purpose that you have given us, may we receive it, may we accept it, and may we do something with it. Speak, Lord, for we are listening. If you've got your Bibles, head over to uh, 1 Kings. We've been looking at the story and the life of Elijah. We looked at him last week. In fact, we looked at one of Elijah's most lowest points in his life. Elijah was a prophet, meaning he just went around telling people God's word. He'd say, you're doing this right. You're not doing this right. You need to do this. Stop doing that. Here's what God says. That was his job. That was his call on his life. And as we said last week, he was in a really dark place, a lowest of lows, and God spoke to him through that quiet, do you remember what was it? A quiet whisper. That's right. And he gave Elijah very specific instructions. One of those pieces of instructions, one of those next steps for Elijah was to go and find a man named Elisha. Now, I know that's going to get a little confusing. You have Elijah and Elisha. Elijah, original prophet that is now going to go and find a man named Elisha. And that's what we're going to pay attention to today. We're going to see this calling that God has placed on the life of Elisha and how that applies to us Today, So 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 19, this is actually where we left off last week. Listen to the way that Elisha answered this call. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. 
Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Now, just so you know, that sounds kind of harsh, but really Elijah's saying a good thing. He's saying, hey, this is your decision. Here's the call. Here's the invitation. If you want to come, great. If not, that's fine too, but do what you've got to do. So it wasn't like he was being mean to Elisha there. Look at what he does, what Elisha does, how he answers. Verse 21. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. That's the call of Elisha. Now, the reason we're looking at this specific part of the call is because what's not helpful is for me to stand here, read Ephesians chapter four, verse one, which is great. That says, you are called by God and then just leave it at that. Because <laughs> like, well, what am I supposed to do with that? What exactly does that mean? How do I live that out? Exactly. So that's what we're gonna, we're gonna spend the rest of our time on. Because here we know that Elisha was called, but there's three specific callings that we're gonna pay attention to that the order is important. And I see the same thing in our lives as well. So yes, we are called. Yes, Elisha was called. But let's break those down a little bit more so we can actually figure out what to do with it, how to answer that call. So the first thing that we see Elisha do is he, he answers the call to follow. You and I, you and I were called to follow. That's all that he says yes to so far, right? Elijah goes up to him, right? And Elisha's plowing the field. So Elijah comes over and throws his cloak over him. Now in that day and age, that was significant. They would have understood what that means. Now, if I were to throw like a coat on you, would be like, what are you doing? Back in those days, it was understood, especially a man like Elijah, a prophet, when that cloak gets put on you, you know what that's an invitation for. So Elisha understood the calling that is being placed on him. And he has to choose, am I going to follow or not? Am I going to keep plowing the fields? Am I going to keep at where I'm at now? Or am I going to Leave it and go and follow Elijah. We have that same call placed on our lives. You are called to follow. Now, what I want to do is I want to read through, because the, the calling that was placed on Elisha's life is very, very similar to the way that Jesus called his disciples and even us. So don't turn there, but let me just read through a few of these. See if you can pick up on the commonalities and how close and how similar they are. Matthew chapter four, verse 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. So they were out doing their job. They were fishing just like Elisha was out plowing the fields. Verse 19, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Verse 20, at once they left their nets and followed him. Verse 21, going on from there, he saw Jesus saw two other brothers, James and John. They were in a boat with their father preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. You've seen the commonalities. One more. Later on in Matthew chapter 9, also you might have heard him called Levi, says this, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Matthew got up, left everything, and followed him. Do you hear the same things? There's a call to follow. And then there's the decision to leave everything and follow Jesus, to follow him. You are called to follow. Now, what about us, though? What does our call look like? That was the story of Elisha. Those are the disciples. But what about me and you? Jesus speaks to us as well. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he's talking to a large crowd, not just his few disciples. He's talking to a large crowd. And I think he'd say the same thing to us. Then Jesus said to them all, whoever 
anyone who ever wants to be my disciple, that's another word for follower, a disciple is somebody that follows closely in the footsteps of the person leading them. Whoever, anyone who wants to be my disciple, look at this, must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. That's what we see with Elisha. That's what we see with Peter and Andrew. It's what we see in James and John. It's what we see in Matthew, the tax collector. And it's the same thing that we see in us when we say yes to the call to follow him. Just real quick, think of those three parts, what Jesus said. Whoever wants to be my disciple, if you wanna follow me, if you wanna answer yes to the call to follow, you deny yourself, you pick up your cross daily, and you follow me. Let's talk about those three just real fast. Because that's a lot in there. To say, if you want to follow me, if you want to answer the call, understand what you're saying yes to. He says, you must deny yourself. Should we just move on? You don't want to talk about that one probably, do you? (laughs) That means what I want, what I think, my opinions, my preferences, my desires, my hopes, my dreams. I deny them all. That's it. Jesus says, if you really want to follow me, all of that isn't as important as you following me and my plan for your life. So you deny yourself. Pick up your cross. And there was a word after that. Do you remember what it was? Pick up your cross daily. Not just one and done. This is a pick up your cross daily. Now for us, if you're here, if you're a believer in Jesus, then the cross is something that means grace and forgiveness and love and sacrifice to us. But in that time, it meant suffering and hardship. So you deny yourself and then I have to suffer daily? Jesus, this isn't sounding good to follow you. (laughs) This isn't what I thought it was gonna be. Deny yourself, pick up your cross daily. Yes, it's gonna be difficult. Yes, there's gonna be suffering. Yes, there's gonna be hardships. And then Jesus says, now you can follow me. You are called to follow. But let me add a little sub question to it. But are you all in? Because we see that in every sense of following Jesus. Elisha, we saw it with him in following Elijah. Remember what he did? He slaughtered his ox, he burned all of his plowing equipment, and then he went and followed after Elijah. He literally left everything to follow Elijah. There's no going back. We see this with the disciples. They left their nets. They left even uh, James and John, they left their father with all the nets and went and followed Jesus. Matthew, the tax collector, sitting at his tax collector's booth with probably receipts and papers and money, and he left everything and he followed Jesus. You are called to follow, but are you all in? Now, I believe the the longer that you're following Jesus, the more you learn what it means to be all in. Because when you first say yes to Jesus, all in looks a little bit different. Again, take the disciples, for example. When Peter and John, James and Andrew, when they said yes to Jesus, all in meant I'm leaving my fishing equipment and I'm following Jesus. There's no way, there's no way that those men knew what they would be required to do and what they would have to give up later on in that one moment. Elisha says yes to following Elijah and he burned his plowing equipment and he slaughters all of his ox. He says yes to following Elijah, but he had no clue what all in would mean years down the road. For me and you, that's the same thing. Each day we're trying to figure out that whole deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and following him. All in is going to continue to be something you learn. 
Let me just tell you what I'm personally learning as far as all in. I've been a believer of Jesus for a long time, following him for a long time, by no means perfectly. But in my life currently, personally speaking, all in has been me giving up my expectations. That's what I've been wrestling with currently in our season and in our world and, and what that looks like in leading and navigating through all of this and being a Christ follower through all of this. Heard a pastor say, give up your expectations, but hold to a spirit of expectancy. And man, that resonated with me. See, all in for me in my life today, personally, is to be all in and to give up my expectations because my expectations are, God, I expect you to do this in this way. God, I expect you to show up at this time. God, I'm expecting people to this. God, I'm expecting me to be able to. I have all these expectations. Guess what happens when your expectations aren't met? Frustration, disappointment, discouragement, disillusion. You go on and on and on, right? So for me right now, my next step in all in is to give up all my expectations, but to hold to a spirit of expectancy that says, God, I, I don't know how you're gonna show up, but I know you're going to. God, I don't know how this is all gonna be good, but I know that you are good. We just sang about that, didn't we? The spirit of expectancy. But I have to give up my expectations. So that's just me personally. What does all in look like for you today? because that's gonna be something you and I are gonna continue to grow in. You are called to follow, but are you all in? Second part we see with Elisha's calling. So he burns the, he burns the plowing equipment, he slaughters his ox, he runs after Elijah to do this. It says, then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Keyword there, became. Elisha became someone else. Something changed in Elisha. Not just a job or a profession, no. He himself, the person of Elisha, changed and he became his servant. So we're called to follow, we're also called to change. You are called to change. Specifically, who you are, who I am. When we say yes to following Jesus and we're all in, we start to become more and more like him. That's the call. We read Ephesians chapter four earlier where, where Paul said, you are called by God. If you wanna know what the person, the disciple, the follower of Jesus begins to look like, read the rest of chapter four out of Ephesians. He goes through it all. Here's what that person looks like. Remember what we said earlier that a, a disciple or a follower of Jesus is following in that person's footsteps? Then becomes we, we begin to look more like him and talk more like him and think more like him. Our heart breaks more like him. When people see you or when people see me, do they see more of us or do they see more of Jesus? Yes, you're called to follow. And again, that means all in. But we are called to change. We are called to become more like the one we are following. To become more and more like Jesus. Think of it in this way. It's who before do. Focus on more, focus more on who you are becoming than what you are doing. So often we tie up who we are with what we do, right? If we went around the room and online, we could say, well, tell me who you are. Chances are good, we would start to say, well, here's what I do. Here's my profession. Here's what I am in my family. Here's my hobbies. We would start to give titles and labels associated to things we do, things we have accomplished, Elisha hasn't accomplished anything yet. 
he became someone else. He began to change to become more and more like the one he was following. Focus on who you are becoming more than just what you are doing. In John chapter three, there's an interesting change that takes place. We're introduced, we're, we're, we see the story of John the Baptist. Remember, he was on the scene before Jesus. He was kind of paving the way for Jesus, telling people that this Messiah would soon be here. And then the Messiah shows up, Jesus shows up. And it became kind of this awkward middle, uh, kind of in-between time where John the Baptist's followers went to John the Baptist and says, John, there's another guy here that's, that's bringing other people to him. John, there's another guy that's like baptizing other people. John, there's another guy that's taking some of our followers. What should we do? John, what are you going to do? And John's response is amazing because it doesn't focus on anything that he or anyone else would do. It focuses on who we are and who he would become. Here's what he says in John chapter three, verse 30. John the Baptist says, he must become greater and I must become less. Another version would say, he must increase, talking about Jesus, so that I may decrease. It doesn't speak to anything of what we would do or what he would do. It speaks to who we are. Jesus must become greater and I must become less. They must see Jesus and not see me as I walk and follow, as I answer the call to follow him. Do I begin to reflect him more and more and more? The disciples, again, if you go through and read the, the gospels and focus on the disciples' interaction with Jesus, it's fascinating on how much they got it wrong. The disciples disagreed with Jesus. There were many occasions where they say, Jesus, you shouldn't say it like that. Jesus, you shouldn't go over there. Jesus, that's a waste of money. Jesus, that's a waste of time. Jesus, shouldn't we do this instead? Jesus, can we have this? Jesus, that won't work. Jesus, you can't. So they didn't always get it. They didn't always get it right. They didn't always understand, they didn't always agree, but they continued to follow him and over the course of their time with Jesus, time spent with him, they became more and more and more and more like him. You are called to follow, which means being all in. You are called to change, to become more like him. And lastly, we're gonna have to fast forward for this one, we're gonna see that yes, we are given incredible opportunities, specific assignments for each of us. We have to fast forward to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter two, let me give you a little bit of the context. So Elisha did just that. He became the servant of, of Elijah. He chose to follow, he answered the call to follow. He became more and more like Elijah, following in his footsteps. But now Elijah is gone. God has taken Elijah up to be with him. So now it's just Elisha left. And here's the scene. Here's what happens. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 13. After Elijah was taken up into heaven, really cool story. Read chapter 2 if you want to read it. Verse 13. He, Elisha, picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. Remember that same cloak? It's what he threw over him when he first called him. This is representing this third call. So he picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah, and he went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan River. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him, and he struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and Elisha crossed over. Let me, let me help you understand the significance of this. 
So Elijah is now gone, and Elisha is left with that same cloak that first was used to call him to follow. But Elijah's gone, so now Elisha has another calling. Remember, it was a call to follow, and then a call to become more and more like him. Now it's this call to be used, like Elisha, like the disciples, you and I, we are called to be used, to do something specific for the kingdom of God. So Elisha takes that cloak, and remember what he cries out, his prayer, where is now the Lord God, the God of Elijah? And what he is saying to God is, God, you used Elijah to do some incredible things. You gave him a specific calling, a specific job. I'm ready to take take on the role. He says, God, if you're the God of Elijah, are you also going to be my God as well? Just like you used Elijah, are you also going to use me? And he takes that cloak and he slaps the water with it. And just like Elijah had done earlier and the Jordan River parted, just the same for Elijah, it now happened with Elisha. And the Jordan River parted from the right and to the left. And then you can keep reading because now this was Elisha answering the call to be used, because you'll read through, keep going through chapter two and chapter three, you'll see Elisha start to do miracles now. He had never done miracles until this point. He had followed Elijah and watched God do incredible things through him, but now, oh, he's answering the call to be used by God. And he does miracle after miracle, and he gives message of hope, message of change and conviction. But that moment he picked up that cloak was Elisha answering the call. Started with a call to follow and to be all in. Then it was the call to become more and more like the one that he's following. Remember, he must increase and I must decrease. He must become greater and I must become less to become more and more like him. But you are called to be used by God. Elisha was called to be used by God. The disciples were called to be used by God. And he gives us specific opportunities. Now, the, the, the tension is in the waiting sometimes. You probably fall in one of two categories. You're either like, I know exactly what I was meant to do. I know why God put me on this earth, and I'm ready to go. You might be, I have no idea why I'm in this earth. I have no idea what God has given me, and I have no clue what I'm supposed to be looking for. And it's easy to use both of those as a, well, I'm not ready yet. Well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, or I know what I'm supposed to do, but maybe not right now. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it as though you're working for the Lord, not for other people. So whether you're doing something right now that feels like your life's calling, or whether you're not doing that right now, whatever you do, use it as an opportunity that he may increase and we may decrease. Do you remember what Elisha was doing? Remember what he was doing when he was first called? He wasn't doing miracles. He wasn't healing people. He wasn't giving prophetic messages. Remember what he was doing? Plowing fields. The disciples, before they got to be part of this new thing called church and spread the gospel and spread the love of Jesus, they were fishing. They were sitting at a, a work table. Whatever you do, do it as though you're working for the Lord. Let him use you. But once again, it all started with the call to follow, then the call to become, 
the call to change, and then yes, the call to be used by him in every aspect of your life. I said that word earlier, significance, that you are significant. The call that God has extended to you is significant. Your life has meaning and purpose because you are called. I wanna add another word to that, to the idea of significance. It's the word steadiness. I believe that God is most impressed with our routine acts of faithfulness. Those everyday decisions, those everyday moments of faithfulness. The significance of our lives is not just one big thing that happens one time. The significance of our lives is in the steadiness, the faithful routines, day in and day out. That's where significant lies, significance lies in your faithful steadiness. Man, that's hard right now, isn't it? In a world where you're anything but steady and stable, to discover your significance in the steadiness of your faith, the steadiness of those three calls to follow Jesus and be all in, to become more and more like him in every way every day, and to use every opportunity in front of us for his glory and his name and his kingdom. Jesus gives a, a parable that uses him as a master and describes him as a master. And, and what a master does is gives the stewards, his servants, certain things. And then in the story, the master goes away for a time and says, I'll be back. And when I come back, I want you to tell me what you've done with what I gave you. In that story, again, Jesus as the master, he gives these three servants different things. He goes away and just as he said, he came back. And so the master wanted to hear, well, what did you do with what I've left you? How did you use what I gave you? Two of the servants were wise and did what this master had instructed them to. One did not. I want to focus on the two that did well. After they gave an account for here's what we did with what you gave us, master, the master, Jesus, says this phrase, maybe you know it, well done, good and you know it, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. You know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, well done, good and important servant. It's not well done, good and influential servant. It's not well done, good and wealthy servant. It's not well done, good, and powerful servant. It's not well done, good, and you could put anything else you want in the blank there. But the fact is that Jesus, our master, looks at us and says, well done, good, and say it again, faithful servant. Steadiness is where our significance is. The steady faith of following Jesus, becoming like him, and using every opportunity for him. So I said at the beginning, we're all given this call. The question is, how are you gonna answer that call? What's your answer gonna be? To follow Jesus, to be all in, to become more and more like him, and to be used by him and for him. If you need to say yes, say yes to Jesus is calling your life to follow him, then you're saying yes to Jesus as savior. Because every time someone answers that call, they haven't had to change a thing yet. 
We don't deserve that call and invitation. We can't do anything to earn it. That's called grace. So we say yes to following Jesus and he becomes our savior, not by anything that we can do or could ever do. You start there. I said the order is important. If you need to say yes to Jesus in regards to changing, becoming more like him, before you go and do all of these other things, may your identity be wrapped up in Jesus. He becomes your king. We sang that before, we're gonna sing it again, that is he the king of your heart? Remember that whole deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and then follow me? Yeah, that's the whole kingship thing. That's lordship. That's saying it has nothing to do with me, but it's everything about you because you're the king and I'm not. Maybe you need to make Jesus king. He's savior, he's lord, he's also master. See, a master gives us opportunities to do things with what he's given us. The resources, the time, the effort, the energy. He gives you abilities, he gives you experiences. He gives you passions, he gives you desires for him. So what do you need to answer today? Answer the call of your savior, answer the call of your Lord, or answer the call of your master. Let's pray. Jesus, as we come before you, we recognize that we are called by you, that our lives are significant, that our lives have meaning, that our lives have purpose, because you have called each and every one of us. You give our lives significance. You give our lives meaning and purpose. Jesus, I would ask that you would reveal to each of us, individually, in our own hearts and in our own minds, where we need to say yes to following you, where, where we need to say yes to the call that you have placed on our hearts. Is it a, a yes to follow you, maybe for the first time, where we say yes to you as our savior? Man, we, we confess we are far from perfect. And I can't do anything to earn it. I can't do anything to deserve it. But that's why you give me grace. So we say yes to you as our savior. Maybe we need to say yes to you as our Lord and our King, where it's not about us, but it's all about you. We follow you and we become more and more and more and more like you in every way. Help us to say yes to becoming more like you. Help us to pay attention to the world around us and what we can do for you in our world. Opportunities, jobs, situations, families, communities. What have you given us that we can use for you? You have called us. May we follow you with steadiness. May our significance Rest in the, in the steadiness of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.